Welcome to the Center Point Pentecostal Church Podcast. We hope that this podcast finds you well and that you are ready for a life-changing message from one of our outstanding and anointed ministers. If you like this podcast, please be sure to give us a follow and a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. Now let's get to today's message. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Starting in verse 4. It's a very familiar chapter of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. If you don't have it with you physically, there is the scriptures on the screens behind me. So let us read together. It says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Last verse, verse 8. Charity never faileth, Charity never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Hoping to encourage somebody tonight with God's help that love, God's love never fails, church. You know, we come to these amazing services and we feel God move. But what about after we leave the building? What about after we leave tongues and interpretation and the workings of the altar and and the music and everything dies down? What's left? It's God's love. It's what sustains us to the next event in our lives. Charity, love is described as many things but what will remain more than the gifts of the Spirit is the love of God and for imperfect people like you and I what we need most in this world is the love of God shown from Him and between one another and it reminds me of an old hymn That still rings so true today that says the love of God, brother David, is more to me than all this world could ever be. It reaches down from the throne of glory and this is my favorite part. It sets the vilest sinner free. The most evil sinner in this world, pastor. You want to set them free of their addiction, of their pain, of their hurt? You show them the love of God. Come on, somebody. I hope, I hope somebody can grasp that tonight. You got a backslider in your family that needs free from their bondage? Show them the love of God. There's a neighbor on your road that needs a touch of God. You show them what it means to be loved by Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Pastor, will you pray for this message?
So just for the next little while, I want to speak about a crazy little thing called love. A crazy little thing called love. Relationships end, friends drift away, and even our own family members fail us at times. Human love is fickle and changing. Even the strongest human love is tested in life's trials. When you think of love, church, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it a sweet romance? Is it family members that you hold dear to your heart? Or is it the way that you and your best friend always have each other's backs? Do you think of things you love like pizza or movies or hobbies or music or different things that you spend your time indulging with? For some people, love can be used to describe almost anything. Ah, wow, I love this drink. Man, this food tastes really good. I love this book that I'm reading. I love being in this relationship that I'm in. It doesn't matter where you and I fall on the spectrum, whether our love life is blissful or non-existent, it's clear that everyone has an opinion on love and what it means to be in love in a healthy relationship. But I think one thing we all can agree on when it comes to love is that love is a strong emotion. Love is powerful. It's a strong feeling. And that people who truly love something or someone are willing to do whatever it takes to show that affection. If you're someone who loves Starbucks like my wife does, you're going to make sure you get your dose or two of the Starbies for the week. Even if one cup of coffee costs you 7 to $8. And I'm talking to my wife about this yesterday and she had to correct me probably to make herself feel better. But she had to correct me and say, no, Starbucks is five to six bucks. It's not seven to eight. <laughs> if you love to hunt, whenever it's deer season, squirrel season, duck season, even though some of it tends to run during the same time, you're preparing months upon months to get ready for the hunt. You're spending time getting corn and putting it out in the fields. You're checking on your stands. You're stocking up your bullets. You're going all out, no matter the cost of the items you need for the hunt, to make sure you get lucky and snag some animals this hunting season. And when I started to think about love and, and different ways that I've shown love in the past, I, I go back to this, this item years ago in my life. Me and, me and Jolie will kind of just, we find things in our house that we've put away for a while. She still has some things left at her parents' house that she just has not brought over. But one of those things was this container. And this container was from when me and I, I think we, both of us were 16 years old. And we had just started dating. And as somebody who worked at a pizza place in high school, I did not have a lot of money, okay? So the few dollars I did have, I did buy her a couple things, but I wanted to show her how much I really loved her, how much I appreciated her. So I wrote something, I got this idea off of, I don't even know, it wasn't my original idea, but it was 365 reasons why I love you. And so, of course, in this jar, I'm not going to ask you how many papers are in this jar because there's 365, 
But I would write one by one on colorful notes, and I would open, uh, just to give you all an example, one thing I wrote was, one of the reasons why I love you is because of your happiness. Okay? One of the reasons why I love you is the way you get mad. Jolie read that one, and she's like, is that still true? I said, that one's a little bit tougher now that we're married. That's right. I'm not going to go through all 365. One of them was, I love you because you sing great. And on and on and on. In fact, when you start really thinking about it, or at least I did, I started running out of reasons, just to be honest with y'all. Like 365 is a lot of reasons. And so I started writing down things like, I love the way you, your eyes look. And then the next piece of paper would be, I love your hazel eyes. Okay? <laughs> or, I, I, love, I love the way you talk to me. And then I'd write, I love your text messages. Like, after a while, you just start forgetting. You just start having to come up with stuff. And I was like, you know what, this is going to impress her. And, and thankfully, I don't know why she did it, but she went through every day and she pulled one out and she read it but y'all that did not take five minutes that did not take one hour I did that sitting down on the bedside floor of my room when I was living with my aunt at 16 years old and I stayed up all night I did not go to sleep I had school the next day but I did not care because I was in love and I was willing to make sure this gift was going to be done in time for us to celebrate our dating anniversary. Because I felt that I loved her, I wanted to do something that people might consider insane or crazy. Or, you know, you do that. I'm not giving up my hours of sleep to make a gift for you. I'll do that when I've got more free time. Was staying up all night, not sleeping and going to school the next day a bad idea? Oh yeah, it was a very bad idea. But it was worth it. Because of the love I had for her. I was willing to do whatever it took to show her that I loved her no matter what it had taken. And when you really think about it, church, God's love is even crazier than that. God's love for you and I is unlike any other that there is on this planet. He is the author of love. While we can't fully wrap our minds around God's love, the Bible says a lot of amazing things about it. In fact, you don't go throughout the pages without finding remnants and constant reminders and beautiful expressions of what God's love is towards us. And with Paul, the writer of our text, he knew a thing or two about not only God's love, but about God's love in us. But he also wrote about love in a different manner. Colossians 2 states that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. And to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. From the highest throne in heaven to the most humble dwelling places on earth. Love reigns both divine and in human affairs. So comprehensive in its scope, so intricate in its influence, and so elevated in its principles that not a single person, not me, not you, not anyone on earth, can truly comprehend God's love in its fullness. But yet the most humble person can experience it 
and receive its embrace. The most beautiful language merely suggests its beauty and power, but the human heart can possess both. Love, God's love, is the most divine expression a person can give or receive. And here's what's so unique about love. Love is something that you and I just can't go to a Dollar General or to a local store, to a local vendor and purchase. Love is not something you and I can just demand like a young child demands something from their parents about getting what they want. Love is not even something that is truly pursued like other things. What love is, is something that can only be given and received. I can only give out love and I can only receive love. Love is the greatest virtue, the greatest act, the greatest power on earth. For some of us, we may be spiritually gifted or have great and fulfilling talents. But if there is no love included in any of that, then we are as sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. In other words, church, we're a lot of bark and no bite, a lot of talk and hardly any walk. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. We've seen what faith can do, church. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. Faith is what keeps a lot of us going when there doesn't seem to be a way out of our situations in our lives. We've seen how great hope is. Hope means looking to the future with assurance because Jesus is our blessed assurance. We've seen how much God moves whenever there's faith and hope in the room. Whenever there's expectancy of the things in the altar and in our services. And this is true and we shouldn't discredit any of that. But why is love greater than faith? Greater than hope? Why is it? Let me add this from our beginning text. Why is love even greater than prophecy and other gifts of the Spirit? Why is it greater than good works? Greater than all of our talents combined? To put it simply, love is the greatest. Because when the hype of the service is over, when the goosebumps have settled and the talented are done using their talents and the gifts have had their place, it's the love of God that sustains you and I. It's the love of God that keeps us rooted and grounded into the gospel and to the kingdom of God. Without love, church, without love of God, all of the great gifts and qualities of the characters of God become cold and sterile. But when the love of God, this unconditional, amazing, not limited love, is allowed to anoint words and actions that are being done by us and by God, it's the love that's going to provide long-lasting effects. You want somebody's life to be changed for the betterment, you show them the love of God. Come on, it may be their first experience here in an altar, but God is going to show His love there. But what happens when they leave? If we can show them that the love of God has uplifted us, Pastor. If we can show them that the love of God has kept us from staying in too many valleys. If the love of God has kept us out of the pits of hell, then we can show a dying world out there that the love of God is still more powerful than anything on this planet. Amen. Amen. Not too long ago I read a financial study on what the power of love can do. Specifically an act of love that two people in a relationship do to show their affection. 
the power and the impact of kissing. There's really no scientific explanation for it that I found would be plausible to present to you. But a study shows that the benefits of a husband kissing their wife is well worth the effort. Back in the 70s, a life insurance policy company in West Germany ran an analysis of insured husbands who regularly kiss their wives before leaving for their job compared to a husband who doesn't kiss their wife. The analysis found that the kissing husbands lived five years longer, had fewer automobile accidents, they were away from work 50% fewer days because of an illness, and earned about 25% more money in their annual income. <laughs> That's right. Pastor, there may not be a precise explanation for it, but there may not be an explanation for it. Pastor, you got the right idea. If that's what happens, then I'm just going to keep doing it, right? Just for, it sounds good. So who needs an explanation, right? Amen. That kiss that a husband and wife share is more than just a kiss. It's sunlight for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's joy that's being appreciated. Any man or woman can face the day better after they both know that through the simple act of affection, they still love one another. Because even when they say they love one another through words, the act of kissing one another solidifies it. Maybe that's where they came up with the saying, you can kiss your troubles goodbye, or happy wife equals a happy life. But in all seriousness, love does no good by just words, church. If we are to express the love of God to one another, we have to act on it or show it to one another. We have got to put that love into action. I've never understood people to say that they love God, but they fail to show love to some of the closest people in their lives, both their personal family, Sister Gail, and their church family. I've got Bible for you. 1 John 4.20 If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Whew. This verse declares that a person cannot, you can't do it, you cannot truly love God if there is hate in your heart. The person who claims to love God must also show love to others. Since we cannot see God in all of His divine essence, love is meant to be the way God is seen. Both in ourselves and in the world, God's love is meant to be the way humanity sees Him. If we truly are to love God with everything in us, then that means we must love His creation with everything in us. The church is meant for the broken. The church is meant for the broken. It's not meant for you and I who come here day in and day out. Don't get me wrong. I love how we can assemble together. But I know we're so passionate about God and His love. If the building were to close tomorrow, we still would gather. And we still would worship Him. But the church of today is a beacon of hope and of love to a dying community. They see the church. They know there's grace and there's mercy that comes in this place. We can't forsake it. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. With God's mercy and grace and might and truth, it's up to us to help repair the broken people. Church love is powerful. Song of Solomon chapter 8 says, Set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Though the maiden in Song of Solomon is suggesting a marriage type of love, the typology of the love she's referencing is one that should emanate between us and God, including His creation. If we are to be the bride of Christ, then our love for Him and for His creation should be similar in power to the love of a husband and wife that they have. Love was like death in its strength. Death is final for most except for Jesus and Lazarus and all the other people that's been raised from the dead. But death is a strong thing. It's enough to make every man and woman answer for it. Love is much the same way, and the strength of romantic love is more powerful than many powerful men. Just ask Samson. There is a jealousy that is good and appropriate in the marriage relationship, and there is another aspect of jealousy that is corrosive and destructive. We should have jealousy in our hearts regarding our love for Jesus, hating anything that might come between Him and us because He has that jealousy towards us. God is a jealous God, and He does not like things to come in between me and Him. He loves His creation. He loves His creation. He loves you and I with everything that He has, and He hates the things that cause a wedge between us. Come on, other examples of how strong love is include Ruth when she refused to leave her mother-in-law Naomi's side. When she said, wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge at, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where thou diest will I die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if art but death. Part you and I. The only thing that's separating you and I is death. That's it. Or how about in Genesis when Jacob was pursuing a woman named Rachel when it said Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had for her. It was the religious people that shouted for Jesus to be crucified. But it was Jesus' love for you and I that he finished the job when he died on a place called Calvary. Jesus does what He does best. He loves you and I. The grace and mercy that He gives you and I is new every day. I can't go off of what he, he, he... I can't go off of the grace and mercy of yesterday and the yesteryears. I've got to obtain that grace and mercy today. And because I love Him with everything in me, I'm going to do whatever it is that pleases Him. I'm going to make sure that God is pleased with this servant. Hallelujah. But when we talk about love and how crazy it really is compared to what the world says about love, we need to know what love is. There are four different types of love described in the Bible. The first one you have eros or eros or aros, romantic love between two people. It's love that two people share for one another in an intimate setting. 
You have the second type of love, filio or philia. It refers to that brotherly love or that deep friendship, that natural love that one has for their friends. The third type of love you have is stores or store A, family love and affection. It's the natural love that one has for their family, especially when we spend enough time with someone or grow up with someone. And the last type of love, the most, the strongest type of love is agape love. It's a much deeper love, church. It's unconditional. Agape describes God's love for us like the love of a mother and her child. It's sacrificial love. It's the, be- the best part about it is it's the kind of love that gives you things but doesn't ask for anything in return. It's the love that says, I love you so much that it's in my character to give you something without anything in return. And within those four kinds of love that we in the Bible talks about, the ones that we really need to home in on are the ones that are filio, that brotherly love, and the agape, the unconditional love. With filio love, we must do as Jesus instructed us to do when he said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. A neighbor is anyone in need, not just the person who lives next door to you. In the Bible, David and Jonathan had that kind of love. It was a love that the Bible says that their souls were knit together. Jonathan would help David flee from Jonathan's own father Saul as Saul was pursuing to kill David. Talk about a brotherly love. Then you have agape love. This kind of love knows no boundaries. This kind of love is evident when Jesus speaks with Peter in John 21 asking Peter if he really loved Jesus or if he had agape love for him. Not just love like a brother but a love that says that you love me more than anything else on this world. This agape love that you're willing to do whatever it takes to love me. Because Jesus loves you and I more than anything in this world. He loves you and I with everything in Him. And I'm sure it keeps Him up at night and I'm sure the tears shed whenever we do go off the course and whenever we do wrong things. But thank God for mercy and grace. Thank God for repentance. Thank God that we are too far from the love of God. That there's still a place for us in His kingdom. Woo! I'll show you how much God loves you and I. John 3.16 paints it clear. For God so loved the world. Yes, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe on Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me put that into some context. I want you to remove that word, the world, and I want you to put your name in there. For God so loved Brendan. For God so loved Brother David. For God so loved Brother Caden. For God so loved Sister Becky. For God so loved Sister Mary. For God so loved every single one of us. That He died on the cross for you and I. He didn't have to. He didn't want. Look, He didn't want to. He could have just wiped it all clean. But because of how much He loves you and I. Because it's unconditional. He says, I've got a burden to bear. I've got sins to bear. And I've got to die on the 
cross for my children because there's nothing more that I love than my own creation. Hallelujah. But this is where, whew, this is where we have a hard time processing God's love. Because yes, we may put our name in that sentence, but it said the world for a reason. The world, the place that we preach so much against, God died for the world. We have a hard time fathoming that God's love even goes that far. If we can just be honest, we know it's in the world. We know there are parents out there that physically abuse their children. We know that there are people out there who have murdered somebody else. We know that there are people out there who have done us wrong. We know you've got some of the lowest of lows in this world. Rapists and horrible and horrible low forms of life. Or as we tend to think, we find ourselves hating these type of people for their actions. In fact, sometimes we wish they would just die. If we let our flesh get the best of us. We're human. Come on, we've had those thoughts. I've had those thoughts. I've seen sometimes some, I'll, I'll watch, Joe, we watch these documentaries sometimes about some of these crazy people. And I've had conversations with my wife like, man, this person is messed up. Like all these crazy people. And I find myself like, yeah, this person needs the electric chair. This person needs all these crazy things. But God loves them. God loves them. He loves them, not what they do. Let that be said. And we know what the word says in Proverbs 6 when it says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that deviseth wicked marinations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. This list is meant to show that not only is the way of the wicked not beneficial for us, but it's contrary, it contradicts God's nature and approval. It's not just that he hates it. It's that he hates it because it's completely incompatible with who he is. That's why he hates sin. Sin is not God. And when sin comes into our lives, it takes us away from him. And all God ever wants you and I to have, Sister Anne, is a relationship with him. And I know some of us, I know a lot of us, we've got that relationship with God. I can see it when we show up to church on Sundays. And I can see it when we show up to prayer meeting and we show up to church on Wednesdays. And let us not be discounted because of a little sin in our lives. But let us be reminded that that same love that we feel when we shed our tears on the altar floor, that same love is for all the people out of these four walls. Those in the prisons... Those in the street corners doing all kinds of different things. Murderers and all these wrong people. They're things that they do are evil. And God sees and hates those things. But he loves his creation. Let us be reminded what Jesus did for the woman caught in the act of adultery. The accusers looking at this woman telling Jesus to stone her. And Jesus not looking past the sin but looking at His creation. 
told the accusers that if anyone is without sin, let them cast the first stone. After the accusers left with stones not thrown, Jesus looked towards the woman and told her that there is no condemnation anymore. But go and sin no more. Because that's the key, right? That's the key, is that He loves you and I enough to where He's given us a way out of our sin. Jesus loves the world. Jesus had recognized that the woman had done the sin because He told her to stop sinning. He told her to repent and not continue to sin. He gave her hope that her life could go on in freedom from sin. He gave her a word of hope to speak against the shame that would later likely threaten to overwhelm her life. So for all of us out there, we need to understand it's agape love because of what God is sacrificially giving us because of how much He loves us. He's given us a way out of our sins. Church, He's given us something called repentance, water baptism, the Holy Ghost to combat this sinful lifestyle and nature. He's given us a name that we can help be identified with. From us in the church house to the prisons to the streets to all corners of the earth. He's given us the name of Jesus Christ that we can put all of our rest and hope in. There's salvation in that name, church. There's power in that name. There's joy and there's peace in that name. There's hope and wholeness and holiness in that name. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. We need that agape love to swarm over our lives. We got to start calling out His name in the morning time. Calling out His name when the sun sets. And calling out His name late in the midnight hour. Because His name is there. Hallelujah. I've heard it described like this one time. The name of Jesus was Adam's redeemer, Abel's vindicator, Abraham's sacrifice, Noah's ark, Moses' bush of fire, Jesus, Joshua's battle axe, Gideon's fleece, Samson's power, David's music, Solomon's wisdom, Jeremiah's bomb in Gilead, Jesus. Mary's baby boy, Matthew's king, Luke's great physician, John's word made flesh, Jesus. Jesus, distinctive and supernatural capacity, supremative and sovereign majesty, exclusive and spiritual beauty. There is power in the name of Jesus. Come on, we shouldn't be scared of it. We shouldn't run away from it. Come on, whenever there's a situation that arises in your life, Whenever you don't know what to do, plead the name of Jesus over that life. Plead the name of Jesus over that situation. And I promise you, there will be a shift. Love suffereth long. And I know what you're thinking. How can love be suffering? That doesn't sound very pleasant. That doesn't sound very loving. That sounds like it hurts. That sounds like that kind of love is painful. I mean, who likes suffering? Who likes to experience hurt and pain? Heard of a story of someone who won the lottery. And one day the lotto winner told their friend that they were having a hard time figuring out what to spend all their money on. So they said they were going to buy everything they saw in their sight. The lotto winner's friend questioned them and said, Really? Everything? I don't think that's possible. The person with all the money replied back and said, Well, how do you know? You've never won the lottery. 
That person responded and said, well, your money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you any sleep. can buy you a clock, but it can't buy you any time. can buy you a book, but not knowledge. can buy you a position, but no respect. It can buy you medicine, but no health. And it can buy you blood, but no life. The man said, so you see, money isn't everything, and it often causes pain and suffering. And I, I tell you all this because I'm your friend. And as your friend, I want to take away your pain and suffering. So what I want you to do is I want you just to send me all your money and I'm going to suffer with you. <laughs> but in all honesty, when it comes to suffering, we try our best to avoid it. We don't want any part of it, but when you have love, you can't avoid suffering. Come on, how many families would still be together if only someone had loved? How many marriages would have not been broken up and how many homes would not be broken if love had been practiced throughout the home by everyone, not just by one person? Love suffereth long. Love will allow us to tolerate unbearable people and situations. Ephesians 4 says, With all low lines and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unit of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But sometimes people make it hard. Sometimes humans make loving them hard because of the things that they do and the things that they don't know need to be corrected. But 2 Timothy 4 and 2 says, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. And if love is long-suffering, then when you and I reprove, let us do it with reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Let us do it out of love. And if it happens to us, let us receive it out of love. Whenever you and I love one another enough to help one another and show them the better way, or if we don't allow ignorance or being unaware to creep in, then we could eliminate regrets such as, if only I had thought or listened before I spoke or struck. Love is kind, and when love is present, so is kindness. One of the greatest things you and I can do during our time on earth and towards God is to be kind to His other children. Love is generous. It gives things that you have to others that don't have what you have. It's being the hands and feet of Jesus. Envy and bitterness go hand in hand, and if left unchecked, they are like cancer that will consume the entire body. Paul reminds us in Philippians when he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What Paul is saying is that he now has a better understanding that church, no matter what season or what situation of life that we are in, that self-sufficiency that grows in us is out of the trust in God. God's going to take it and take everything and work it out for His good in our lives. Amen? It don't matter what comes our way. We just have to be self-sufficient in the season that we're in. I know it may look greener on the other side. I know God is doing amazing things in somebody else's life. And God is doing things that you wish He would have done in your own life. But God has a plan. And sometimes we don't understand that plan. But if we truly love Him, then we have to be content in the season that we're in. If we did not sign up for it. Some, we are born into this. Seasons a lot of time that we go through. But God has us placed in here. God has us placed for such a time as this. Amen. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Love is never rude. Love is courteous. One person described courteous love to be the eye which overlooks your friend's broken gateway but sees the rose which blossoms in his garden. Love is not selfish. 
It's not something we just buy ourselves and share it. It's something we can only give and receive. Sometimes parents often do without in order that their children may have. Sometimes we have to give things that we don't want to give away, Sister Gail, so that way others can have what they need. I think of 1 Kings chapter 3 when there were two women who had children at the same time. And one of them had died because one of the ladies had, one of the women had accidentally rolled over it and it died. And so they went before Solomon. And Solomon was trying to figure out what to do. And he decided that he was going to cut the living child in half and give the two pieces to the two women to prove because he. Because nobody was stepping up to say, this is my child. No, this is my child. Didn't know what to do. But because that one woman cared. And she realized that she would rather have her child living with a different woman. Than staying with her and being dead. She screamed from her bowels. And said, that kid, she can have that child. Jesus says in Matthew that he came not to receive. But to give. Love is not selfish church. Everything God has graciously given us. Our personalities. Our talents. Our callings. Our giftings. Our careers. Our blessings are not meant to build us up. They're not meant to build self up. But they are meant for the broken and the lost world outside of this church. We're not here to build our own kingdom. We aren't here to say look what... Look at what I'm doing for God, but look at what God has done for me in my life. People need to know that your testimony is more than just what you are doing, but it's what He done through you. And if that same God that has moved into my life and our lives, He can move into others. I'm closing. Everybody can stand. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it changes and impacts your life for days to come. If you would like to connect with us further, give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash Centerpoint Pentecostal Church or just search Centerpoint Pentecostal Church on Facebook. If you would like to join one of our services in person, the service times and address are in the podcast description. Thank you and God bless and we hope to see you on the next episode.